Good morning, Miss Yo. Today's reading is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Thanks, Gilbert. Today, we continue in our new series for the new year. Um, it's called Heart. We're exploring practices that form in us hearts of God-shaped love. And these practices are a good way to root us as we are now kind of fully stepped into the new year. We're like nearly in February, it feels like. It's kind of crazy. And the idea is that these practices lead us in a direction. And that direction is towards wholeness, um, a formational direction that we're living in as people of faith. And Johnny set the foundation a few weeks ago talking about how practices work, what they do, and how they are distinct from resolutions, from power, the kind of willpower, where you just kind of white-knuckle it to get things done, or distinct from the idea of success and failure. They're more about growth and wholeness, like I said, and about health. And that's what we want to pursue as a community is this idea of a spiritually formed life. And in doing so, we kind of take up these practices to help with that. And for centuries, the term for growth is spiritual formation. And Dallas Willard is someone who's written about it, and he defines it this way. Spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human being, the heart. Agape, or love, is the center the linchpin of it all. And sometimes with spiritual formation, the practices or disciplines, it can move, the emphasis can move, rather than formation and wholeness, it can move to the idea of the things that kind of make us good. Or that we do things in order to be able to define ourselves as spiritually mature, which is a good thing, but it can also kind of fall apart or unravel when it turns into kind of subtle or not so subtle, like practices about superiority. The spiritual superiority or ones who do these kinds or wake up really early in the morning. Those are the real spiritual ones. Not that it's bad to wake up early in the morning. But we end up then taking on certain practices and it starts to move into that realm of kind of dominance over ourselves. Where it's like, I must do this. Or I must be this. And then we start to subtly, or not so subtly, do that same thing to others. 
We overlay expectations on ourselves and on others that you must do this, you must be this. And in the process of doing that, we lose what Dallas Willard calls the linchpin. When we do that, when we approach practices or disciplines this way, we lose the linchpin, which is love. And we might not be too quick to notice or admit it, but unfortunately, like we've said over the last two weeks, there's a weightiness to this for us as a people who hold a Christian faith. Because as Johnny and I have both said, the primary criticism about Christianity is that we don't look like Jesus often as Christians, that we don't love like Jesus. And it's hard to reconcile sometimes the exchanges that happen between people of faith with love. And sometimes the notion of being right supersedes the idea of paying attention to one another. And we as a community want to show up this season for the deep questions of formation and Christ-likeness. And that is the process of formation. And a lot of it are the things that God does as we're in relation to God, and then there are things that we do that help cultivate that rootedness in love, like solitude and silence we talked about last week. And today, we are going to talk about the practice of simplicity. And we're going to look at Jesus' words, and we're also going to look at Christian tradition as an invitation into this practice of simplicity. So let me pray, and then we will have a little gander at simplicity. Jesus, thanks for um, everyone in this room. Each person comes in with a life and a story that they're living. And I know, Spirit, that you want to encounter them. And so I pray that today, as we pay attention to your word and to each other and to this practice of simplicity, that we would um, have an imagination for how it could form us, how it could grow us into hearts that are shaped and developing into deepening love, both with and for you, and with and for each other, and this city and this world that we live in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first we're going to start out with simplicity as, re- as it relates to Christianity, and in relation to the biblical text. The kind of Christianity can be kind of simplified. And we read it this morning, and Jesus sums up Christianity for us in Matthew's Gospel. And there's an ancient Hebrew prayer known as the Shema, and it's prayed daily. And it starts out with the word hear, which means not only to listen, but to pay attention and move out of in kind of an embodied experience of the words that follow. Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. 
And Jesus echoes this ancient Hebrew prayer when he is asked what the greatest commandment is. Matthew chapter 22, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There's a lot of words in the law and the commandments. And Jesus says, this is how I would simplify what they are all pointing to, what they're all rooted in, and the deepest meaning of what these other words are are clarifying. And so as we talk about the spiritual practices, all of the practices, All of the practices serve this purpose. The wholeness that we are leaning towards. A formation that answers the two questions that we've had each week that we've looked at this. How do we learn to love more God, ourselves, and others? And then how does our capacity to receive love grow? from God, from others, and from ourselves. And so the practice of simplicity, or the work of simplicity, is the work of getting at these two questions. How do I love more, and how do I grow in being able to receive love more? The practice is kind of the exercise of doing that. And there was a group of people back in the 3rd to the 6th century that took these two questions really seriously, too. And simplicity turned into a significant way of life to move them in the direction of loving wholeness. And during that period, it was the Roman Empire. It was in full swing. And they kind of dominated a lot of the world at that time. And they had trading systems and infrastructure. The development of roads came from that period. The urban settings, they started using plumbing and aqueducts and dams. There was a lot of good engineers. Shout out engineers in the room. A lot of good engineers during that time. Also a lot of good agriculture. Like a lot of the way that watering happened, some of it is still used today. They also had a strong military, Rome and a strong economy. They also, because nothing is singular, right, had a lot of anxiety. During that period, as you read in um, history, there's a lot of power struggles, some harsh taxation, inflation, extortion, war, lots and lots of war. We can understand all of that. Inflation, Taxes, power struggles, in the middle of some significant power struggles right now. Anxiety. That is not unfamiliar to us. And Constantine was also the Roman emperor who completely altered the relationship between church and the imperial government. Christianity was the dominant faith of the empire, and in the process, it became intertwined 
with the imperial government, also something that we understand. And all of this, brilliant engineers, lots of good economy, anxiety, struggle, war, it's, it's the complexity of what it means to be human. There is always complexity with empire, always. And so also during this time, during the 3rd and the 6th century, there's a group of people in Egypt and Syria and Palestine that in response to all this complexity chose extreme simplicity in the desert. They built, or they built homes, like kind of out of simple wood huts, or they made them in caves. And they ate really simple meals like bread, and water, and salt, and herbs, and vegetables. And then they did really simple work, like weaving of linen, or making baskets, or ropes. And they came to be known as the desert fathers and mothers. And more and more people started to become attracted to what they were learning out in the desert. And they themselves started to kind of group together in certain moments, forming communities, and it was the beginning of what we would now call the Christian monastic tradition. Came out of this place of complexity, they reached for simplicity. And that may seem far from our lived experience, but somehow on the YouTubes, I have got into this algorithm about people who live off-grid. I don't know if any of you have been, you know. And there's this one couple in particular, like for seven years, they've been living in this like little 13-foot trailer. Yeah, teeny tiny weeny, like cooking outside, you know, bathing in the river. They're reaching for some simplicity. I don't know if that's simple, to be fair. And after the seven years, they decided to build kind of an off-grid house. They used these dry kind of stacked bricks and they filled it with concrete in this recycled styrofoam insulation method. And they were kind of on this adventure. They've met like-minded people who taught them how you build a house like this. So they're kind of gathering in communities of people. And even the videos, they're kind of slow. Like for sometimes you just watch the crackling of a fire. And I was like, oh yeah, the pace of life is really different. And then when you think about like the tiny house movement, I think it has a similar idea to it. There's more amenities, let's be fair, but it's the same idea. I had a friend who, after walking the Camino in Spain, she sold her house and she set up a tiny house in her friend's front yard. She wanted things to be simpler. So the desires of like third century people who turned into nuns and, nuns and monks, like not exactly the same, but they do run parallel to each other. A desire for a more uninterrupted life. And in many ways, these folks who were living off the grid or in tiny houses, they're embodied kind of this actioned boundary to our own empire that we are a part of. That is of consumption an endless work, and unsatisfied expectations, and hustle, and hurry, and clutter, and noise. 
And there can be in the human a hunger for simplicity. Do you have it? Sometimes I do. And it's okay if you don't. Maybe you like the clutter or the clatter. But I just want to say that maybe it's worth asking yourself the question of where is your life cluttered? Maybe you feel physically cluttered. Like when you get home, you're like, oh, is this place always a mess? Or this stuff, you know, just that. For me, sometimes if there's too much stuff around, I just start to feel claustrophobic by it. But there's other times where we like have this need for stuff. Like the clutter kind of manifests itself in us for like, oh, we actually have a need for something. And it becomes like this insatiable desire for things. So maybe you feel physically cluttered. Or maybe your calendar just feels cluttered. Or maybe you are emotionally cluttered, where you can't stop worrying about one particular thing. Or there's a relationship or a dissonance in a relationship that just like goes over and over and over and over in your mind, and it just feels like it's stealing away your life, and it is cluttering your internal sense of peace and wellness. Or maybe you're just cluttered by expectations, internal expectations or external expectations. Like you're not exactly where you feel like you should be at your age or there's a work expectation and it just feels like you are cluttered by expectation. Or maybe there's even a sense of clutteredness in Christianity and faith for you. There's a lot of noise. And simplicity, as a spiritual practice, grows us towards spaciousness and building margins. It's about creating room to breathe. It's about letting go of things in order to be able to have like, the ability to move a little bit more with ease. having those internal and external margins, margins through the practice of simplicity, which moves us in the direction of wholeness. There's this woman, Roberta Bondi, she's a church historian, and she has taken considerable amount of time paying attention to the desert fathers and mothers. And she says that in paying attention to these folks who chose simplicity, that they helped her to realign her faith. She's a scholar. And she said in attending and paying attention to the simplicity of their lives, she reaffirmed for herself understanding what the main point of all of this is, this faith tradition that is Christianity. And in her book she says that she came to understand that it's not about right doctrine, where we move from faith in God to faith in what we say about God. She says that the main point is not about obedience to the church or family or culture. And that the main point, as she came to understand it for herself, is that she would not just be a good woman. But this is what she says, finally, 
After kind of unraveling a lot of the things she had come to understand, she said, under the influence of the early monastic teachers, these desert dwellers, I was able to truly understand that if their conviction that love is the final goal of the Christian life, that learning how to love is neither a matter of gritting one's teeth and becoming instantly perfect, instantly loving by a matter of sheer anxious will, nor is it something God does to us in, in a moment of conversion to Christianity. She says it's learning to love is a lifetime work. And what makes growth in love possible is God's generous and gentle love for us, which precedes, works with, and enables all that we do as we grow in love. And this faithful, historic practice of simplicity is motivated by growing in hearts of God-shaped love. Gets to the two main questions. How does our capacity to receive love grow? And how do we learn to love more? Simplicity is merely one way that intends to help root us in the main point of the whole thing. And it really is important that we don't lose sight of what the main point is. Because like I said, we can quickly dissolve into making it about behaviors. And when we start to dissolve into that, kind of practices that have to be done in particular kinds of ways, what do we do? We lose the linchpin. And what's the linchpin? Love. And when we start to demand a kind of practice from ourselves, we move not towards wholeness, but towards like behaviors. And we lose the nuance of who we are and how we need to be moving because we're not all the same. Our practices and even the practice of simplicity is going to show up in our lives differently because we are different people. We've come from different stories. We live in different lives. And so our practices will look different. We need different things to grow. And we're all at different stages of growth. Not that any are better than others, we're just in different locations. And so last week I gave that example of like running a marathon. It would be a totally bad idea for me to go and run a marathon today. I'd probably do some damage. Some of you in here, no probs. Just go, you run out here and run 27 miles and it would be no biggie. Which is why we have to ask ourselves, how might we adopt this practice? Because we might not really be planning to go off grid. Don't know that I'm really going to live in a 13 foot trailer. So if simplicity is about spaciousness and letting go in order to create margin in, in our lives, it's about our whole lives. So simplicity can be about our words and the words that we choose to use. Simplicity can be about the opportunities that we say no to. Simplicity can be about an awareness of our own sense of entitlement. Simplicity can be about the activities we do or the activities that we don't do. Simplicity can be about the relationships that we cultivate. 
Simplicity can be about enjoying ordinary things like potatoes or a walk or a mug of soup or laughter or reusing plastic or taking our own shopping bags to the shops. And simplicity is about growing into something. We exercise into it. We want to pick something up that helps build us up and build each other up and build our communities up. And when you go to the gym, it may be that you just like practice one movement, right? And then once you got the movement down, then you pick up a little bit of weight. You get stronger and stronger as you exercise into it. That's the same with these practices. And that's why sometimes they talk about spiritual exercises related to the practices. So today, I pulled a few on simplicity. And so we're just going to get our little gym workout ready. And I want you to pay attention and see if one of them might fit. These are adapted from Adele Calhoun's book, Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. So just kind of settle in and listen and see if one of these is an exercise you might want to try on. Simplicity of words. Ask God to help you speak the simple truth. Practice speaking simply. No double meanings or half-truths that put you in the best light. Let this practice help you become aware of when you rationalize Deny, blame, and spin. The simplicity of words. Maybe that's your exercise. Potential exercise. Or maybe simplicity of environment. Uncomplicate your life by choosing a few areas in which you wish to practice letting go. Clean out the garage, basement, closet, or attic. Go on a simple vacation. Eat more simply. What is this like for you? Maybe you need to develop simplicity with yourself. Find out just how attached you are to your things, your attitudes, your habits, your own expectations, or the expectations of others. What risk could you take to let go of what is comfortable, familiar, falsely safe? What do you hope it might give you space for? Simplicity with God. Where have you complicated your life with God? Consider what actually brings you into the presence of Christ. Spend time there. Simplicity with others. Practice giving no excuses and no spontaneous yeses. When you are tempted to say yes, stop yourself and say, let me think about this for a moment. I'll call you back in 10 minutes. Even 10 minutes can afford you the time to consider whether you really want to say yes. When you want to make an excuse for something like being late, 
or eating on the run, let the excuse go. Just let it go. Accept the reality of your life. No excuses, no spontaneous yeses can actually be a step in discerning more wholeness in relationships with yourself and others. Simplicity of words, simplicity of environment, simplicity with yourself, simplicity with God, simplicity with others. These are just a few examples to get your imagination going. But ultimately, you probably have some ideas of your own. I tell you who's really good at this, children. Children are like, are you a little human? You'll be my best friend. There's no like overthinking it. The simplicity this morning, I saw a picture of a little girl and she was in the snow. Like the simplicity of the joy in playing in the snow. Or the, the simplicity of doing something over and over and over and over again. Children are great for kind of sparking our imagination into the practices of simplicity. Is there an exercise that comes to mind for your life? Where you are located? What is it? There was a man who was a Jesuit intern, and um, Jesuits are the part of a monastic tradition. Came out of that early fifth, kind of third to sixth century time, and Jesuits actually take a vow of simplicity. And this gentleman said, "This simple living is about more than minimizing the amount of things I use. It is about leaning into this life with understanding." with honesty, with humility, and authenticity. Missio, the practice of simplicity roots us in a faithful historic practice. It allows a kind of spaciousness internally and externally. And the fruit of that draws out an embodied life of love. Let's pray. Jesus, as we talk about practicing things, again, I want to ask that you would help us to remember the main thing. The main thing that the religious leaders asked you. What, what commandment is the best? They were trying to trick you and catch you out. And you always call us back to an awareness of your deep, deep love for us. And an awareness that we can cultivate that deep, deep love for ourselves and for each other. And so I pray that as a community, as we attend to these practices, today being simplicity, that that would be our hope and our motivation that we would see ourselves as desiring to declutter, to find stillness, to find simplicity in order to create margin so that we can breathe, 
so that we have a kind of spaciousness that allows us to embody love. And so would you give us playful, creative imaginations for how this could show up in our lives? And would you help us to be those that exercise? Exercise and grow our strength so that we can have hearts of God-shaped love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.